0: All right, so before we jump into this week's episode, I would like to reflect on the season so far. Thirteen weeks gone by in the blink of an eye. We've explored the pain of childbirth, babies being born still inside an intact amniotic sack, there's been some sci-fi, literary fiction, and memoir, a married couple taking turns on telling how they fell in love, a young girl growing up in a polygamous cult, a Jewish woman traveling on a ship to Paris in 1933 to learn contemporary technique, Or a young man driving down to California to pursue his partner who just dumped him. Or a woman obsessed with earthquake preparation. And then there are episodes like Miriam Gerba's. The level of response we received on Miriam's episode meant a lot to us. We are a small team here at Storybound. We'll record our authors remotely in a recording studio or from their homes. And then I will sit alone with the raw recording and some music stems. And each time, I am surprised. Every episode is a standalone experience just as much as it is a continuation of the one preceding it. So thank you to everyone who has been listening to this season and sharing their favorite episodes. We love hearing from you, so please keep it up. This week, we have William Pesci on the show. William Pesci's stories have been published in the Best American Short Stories 2020, VQR, McSweeney's Catapult, the Asian American Literary Review, the Des Moines Register, the Masters Review, Read Magazine, Carve Magazine, Hyphen, and among others. He's been awarded scholarships and support from the Suwannee Writers' Conference, the Bread Loaf Writers' Conference, the Sun Valley Writers' Conference, Kundimon, the Napa Valley Writers' Conference, and the Ragdale Residency. He is a graduate of the Iowa Writers' Workshop MFA Fiction, where he was a recipient of the Dean's Graduate Fellowship. He will be reading a section of his story, Enlightenment, originally published in the Best American Short Stories 2020, edited by Curtis Settenfeld. He will be accompanied by an original Storybound remix featuring Modern Diet.
1: I'm William Pei Shi, and I'll be reading an excerpt from my story entitled Enlightenment, which is featured in the Best American Short Stories 2020, edited by Curtis Sittenfeld and Heidi Pittler, and originally published by the Virginia Quarterly Review. It's a story about unrequited love and loneliness and the longing to connect meaningfully in some way with someone else. But it's also a story about social inclusion and the complexities of implicit bias and accidental damages inflicted by one's preconceived notions. Here is Enlightenment.
0: Welcome to Storybound, presented by LitHub Radio and the Podglomerate. I'm your host, Jude Brewer. In just a little bit, you'll be transported to the world of Abel Jones, a Harvard graduate in his 30-year tenure at a college in Connecticut. And he is in love.
1: Over the week, Abel barely works. He is restless. He will walk outside of his building and say hello to people he usually pass with vague acknowledgement. He revels in the newfound spirit, feels it course through his veins like a life force, undeterred. He can already see himself showing Christian the skyline, the view of Manhattan, pointing out the Chrysler building. The Empire State Building, East River. Then he will lead him downstairs. They'll be back in the apartment. He'll fix him a gin and tonic. They will peruse the library together. He will show off his collection. Thomas Paine, Guta. He will put on some handle. Water music. Music for the royal fireworks. His favorite countertenor's rendition of Roberto Camillo de Leto. They might lose track of time. He might have to go to the grocery store in case he has to prepare some sort of dinner. He isn't a very good cook though, so they might just order in. It is Christian who cancels. They exchange emails back, forth. Christian will take days to reply, weeks, Then Christian stops replying altogether. It's as if Abel's being filtered out. Abel will be the one to take the initiative, to call, leave messages. If he is busy this week, how about the following week, the week after? Still, no reply. And then the slow and steady descent back into an obscurity. The vigorous walks around the neighborhood do little to quell the storm that has suddenly resurged inside of him. He replays the evening they had together in his mind. Was he incorrect in remembering that it was nothing short of brilliant? It is finally the summer. The full and dreadful and exhausting burn of it. The city in the midst of a heat wave. They say it's the beginning of the end. But on one hot midday, the phone rings. I thought you had all but disappeared on me, Abel says. Sorry, things came up. The familiar voice replies. Friends leaving town. Cousins visiting from the west coast. An aunt in the hospital. But what are you doing Friday? I'll have to check my planner. Abel covers the receiver. Mentally, he counts down from ten. He had seen it done in a film once. Then he says, You're in luck. A prior engagement has just cancelled. Shall I give you my address? On the afternoon, Christian is to arrive. It is dark. Abel glances out the window in anticipation. Massive clouds threaten the sky, but everything is prepared. In the refrigerator, there is already cheese, caviar. On his desk, a gift box. He glances up at his clock. Any minute now. The phone rings. Christian tells him that he is running late. I'll be there soon. Do you have an umbrella? What? It might storm. I'll run. He worries that Christian will only get lost along one of the cobblestone side streets, get caught in the rain. What if he cancels? You won't make it. Sure, I will. No, no. Why don't I meet you at the restaurant? by the time Abel rounds the corner he is heaving heavy breaths umbrella in hand a shopping bag in the other just as he had suspected it had poured there was thunder lightning it all happened so fast and yet it was nearly impossible to prevent the gift box from getting wet hello there Christian says with a wave He extends a hand, and Abel knows instantly that something has come undone between them. You made it. Christian is wet himself. His hair practically soaked. Why didn't you go inside? I thought I'd wait for you out here. You could have waited for me at the bar. You're drenched. It's fine. I'll dry up in no time. In the restaurant, they're greeted by the host, a middle-aged gentleman in a silvery suit, his dark hair slicked back. He warns Abel to watch his step. The tone of his voice affects reverence for the elderly. But people glance over at them, hold their gazes. He can't help feeling as if he's betrayed a sense of helplessness. He's even taken by the arm, led to their table at the center of the room. I'm not that old, Abel says. He means it in good humor. (laughs) The host laughs, pulling out a chair. Please, enjoy. Then the waitress brings the wrong appetizer. Forgets their drinks. He and Christian share a bland salad. A salty pizza, barely any shrimp. Christian doesn't seem to be very hungry. He is distracted. He reaches for his phone. What's the matter, Abel says. Do you have another engagement? Sorry, it's my phone. It keeps buzzing. I should check this message. It's amazing how much our attention spans have deteriorated. What's that? I said we've become so attached to our phones now. It's sad. Oh, sorry. Something about the young man's aura has changed. Diluted. Abel tries to resurrect some of the magic from the night he's replayed over and over in his mind's eye, and recently in a much improved and favorable light. He refuses to hesitate, refuses to relent. A full life is but the realization of the best of things before they fade. I was so glad when you called, Abel then says. He reaches into the bag, pulls out the gift box. The cardboard is still wet, but what can he do? These are just a few things that I thought you might like to have. Wrapped in tissue paper, a scarf, a pink tie, blue shirt, a pair of bronze cufflinks. If the shirt doesn't fit, do let me know, and I'll exchange it for another. It's the middle of the summer. He holds up the scarf. This is ridiculous. He glances down at the price tag. And expensive. It's designer. Tell you what, why don't you wear it to the ballet? I don't even know how to tie this. Allow me. Abel takes the tie, ties the knot around his neck, then passes it back to Christian, who slips it on. It's too tight. He tugs at the knot in order to loosen it. No, not too much. It looks fine. Leave it. The neighbor leans in. Let's be honest. I think we have a connection. It's special. I can feel it. And it's true. I've been meaning to ask you something. Ask me anything. I'm an open book. The waitress arrives. They do want dessert. Two creme brulees, more drinks. Well, Abel then says, your question? Yes. Christian takes a breath. I think you're brilliant. I think you're great. Abel holds his smile. Go on. A reference, a letter of recommendation. Sorry, I meant to preface all this by telling you that I'm applying to graduate school. It is like the colliding of galaxies. Abel keeps his face calm and unmoved. He thanks the waitress for bringing their desserts. You see, I hope to follow in your footsteps. Abel's tone is even when he says, you flatter me. That's why I'm applying to Harvard. To be frank, I don't exactly have the grades but it's always been a kind of dream of mine to go there. Therefore, I know it would mean a lot if a letter of endorsement came from you. You have a name, a reputation. You're a member of the Samuel Johnson Society, for God's sake. It is like a betrayal, a kind of annihilation. Abel can see it all clearly now. The disease of the latest generation, the presumption of a favor, prematurely expecting it to be fulfilled, as if it's only a matter of course. How it's become a kind of routine currency. I'd like to teach in the future, Christian continues. My mother thinks that I can be a professor. Abel digs his fork into the creme brulee. It's practically mush. I wouldn't recommend anyone going into academia. But you seem to do well for yourself. It was a different time when I started. One could get a PhD in history and go on to teach poetry. He wipes his mouth with his napkin. He's done with dessert. I'm sorry, but Harvard is out of the question. You belong here. He longs to add, with me, but is afraid that the moment he does, what's left will surely vanish. What's the matter? He says instead. You think Harvard's out of my league? Quite the contrary, actually. I refuse to let Harvard claim you. Somehow, I doubt that. I want you to know that I intend on pursuing this, whatever happens. And I know a man in search of ruin when I see one. What's that supposed to mean? The wasted years, days of drifting about, feeling entirely out of one's element. The torture of being friendless, invisible. The absurd self-loathing, All that self-destruction. How would he ever be able to explain what that was like? Look, I know a person of your position will see a place like Harvard and mistake it for mobility, even progress. Trust me, I've been there. I understand. But it's an illusion. A place like that will only undo you. And if I may enlighten you on any one aspect of your future, it is precisely this. You will fail. Silence ensues. Christian removes the tie, places it back in the box and buries it below the tissue paper Then he glances down at his phone, as if purposefully. I don't mean to be rude, but I have to go. Then go. Wait, don't go. Here, keep this. He places the box in the shopping bag and hands it to Christian. There's no point in me holding on to this. A sense of relief washes over him when Christian eventually takes it. A consolation gift? Don't be like that. Won't you reconsider? Don't make me beg. I'm going to have to put my foot down on this one. So, where does this leave us? Abel shakes his head. The same. Disappointed, I'm afraid. Deeply disappointed.
0: The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from the song Dizzy by Modern Diet. And now for a quick commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with William Pacey and Modern Diet. And now we return from our break.
1: Days later. He is meandering through the streets. No real destination in sight. Bleecker Street, West Forth. He is venturing further than he is usually accustomed in this ocean of a city, Union Square in the distance. Before he knows it, he is approaching Times Square. He is amid the lights, the chaos of the tourists, rush of cars, buses, Taxis. Bicycles. He wipes the sweat from his forehead. Stops at a bench to catch his breath before continuing on. Columbus Circle in the distance. Then Lincoln Center. It is like battling against the tide. He can feel the soreness in his legs. His fatigue. He regards it as a personal victory that he's even made it this far. And that he can still go on. He has made a success of something. He has resisted closure. Her apartment is on the Upper West Side. The view of Central Park is like a forest at this time. Photographs of children, their families, along the hallway walls, along the bookshelves. God, are you alright? Daphne says. She sits beside him on the couch. You're worrying me. She reaches over, pulls the dangling string of a nearby lamp. The light comes on and he is astounded. He's never seen her so small, so fragile. She has soft white hair. She is wearing a string of pearls. He regards her blue eyes, clear as ever. He considers their friendship. It has stood the test of time. More so. In the end, there is another kind of love there, and it is no less true. Let me fix you a drink, she says. Abel reaches for her hand. He can't help his own from shaking involuntarily, but manages to bring her palm to his lips. Who are you? she says. And what have you done with my Abel? They see a Czech film at Lincoln Plaza Cinemas, then dinner at Cafe Fiorello, her favorite restaurant. Daphne sips her melo. Lovely, she says. I miss our evenings out. People like us, we pave the way, he tells her. It's as if it's all being thrown back in our faces now. I can't stand to see it. Is this what happens when one has it too good? Daphne listens with the expression of someone who is holding back a more nuanced opinion, too tired to disagree. He goes on. How does someone live these days with all the lack of commitments? Everything at the expense of another. Where is the collaboration? You're incomprehensible, Abel. You don't need it. It's not a question of need. The young waiter mistakes them for husband, wife. Neither bothers to correct him. Well, I could do worse, Daphne says, as soon as the waiter is out of earshot. In fact, I have. They both can't help but laugh. Later that evening, Daphne insists that they go for a carriage ride in the park. She's never done it before. Neither of them has. The clap of the horse hooves echoes against the buildings. Doormen stand at the entrances Taxis speed past them in the streets. I'm ashamed. I feel like a tourist, Abel says. This is kind of ridiculous. The days are getting colder. We don't have many nights like this left. I suppose you're right. You have me. We have each other. I think it is enough. Yes. What a blessing.
0: The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from the song Dizzy by Modern Diet. And now for our final commercial break. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ali is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off sleep is on the way at ollie.com that's o-l-l-y dot com you are listening to storybound with william Pacey and modern diet and now we return for our final chapter
1: When he visits the university, he still wonders if he will run into Christian. The possibility is ripe for it. He remains later at the office in the hopes that the young man might surprise him, walk through the door like the first time when he had told him everything, nothing. Abel leisurely strolls through the park. All his careful vigilance amounts to nothing either. The holidays pass, there are cards, dinners at a friend's apartment in Brooklyn. Each year on New Year's Eve, Abel is invited to attend a gathering where a soprano performs a marathon of Lieder by Schubert. This year, the melancholy arpeggios of one strikes him more. Each sequence of notes slices a cut infinitely deeper. Soprano's haunting vocalizations only seem to reiterate his anxieties, his frustrations. Then there is the elegant invitation in the mail, the platinum envelope stamped with the official seal, the Samuel Johnson Society. The gala is once again being held at the Harvard Club. Admission is expensive, but that isn't unexpected. He could attend. He could treat himself to an evening in the company of his peers, the finest minds. He's always enjoyed the affair. This year on the program will be highlights from a journey to the Western islands of Scotland. Of course, readings from James Boswell's Life of Johnson. The hall, high ceilings, chandeliers, the elegant place settings, silverware, find China. He wonders how he could have kept himself away for this long. He runs into faces he knows. Dr. M. West, fresh from teaching at Oxford. Dr. Sophia Liu, Yale. Dr. Charles Winslow, Princeton. They, the select few, the creme de la creme, In recent years, in an effort to bolster membership, the society had started to extend invites to more women. It was about time. Like everyone else, Abel is in formal attire, a tuxedo. He could do with some music, sing along. It would be a splendid cadence to the evening. In the library, He shakes hands with Dr. Gupta, a man who has lost a significant amount of weight through the years. What hole did you crawl out of, Abel? He says. I didn't think I'd see you this year. In the spirit of the occasion, Abel echoes the man of the hour. It is seldom that we find either men or places such as we expect them. Ah, Johnson's idler, of course. Touche. He finds his place card. As expected, he's seated with the other professors. Dr. Thomas Salisbury tells him that he's currently at work on a book on the epochal boundaries and paradigm shifts in antiquaries and politicians in 18th century Naples. Sounds delicious, Abel says. As the man goes on about the research, Abel thinks of how wonderful if by a series of happy accidents that he should see Christian at the event. How easy it would be for him to contact the society, mention Abel's name, and secure an invitation. Such audacity would only be alluring. Christian could certainly find their website online. Abel peers into the crowd, examines each table, one at a time. He imagines Christian wearing the watch, the tie, the shirt, even the scarf, even though it would be out of place among the black and white attire of the gala. But it would also be a kind of Christian at his best. He can't help but feel himself go a bit weak. Poor Christian. He'd be completely oblivious too. It wouldn't matter. How the world unfolds with such disproportion for the young, the beautiful. It is a gross inequality, but we are all complicit, he says. That's misattributed, Dr. Salisbury replies. What's that? What you said, it's often misquoted as Johnson. It isn't him. A reader takes the podium on the stage. Abel recognizes it to be Dr. Vincent Olsen. His face has narrowed. His fingers seem more swollen than ever. The difficulty with which the man turns the page of the book before him is agony. There is a gloom about him too. A darkening. The throes of decay. Abel can see it in the flesh. Or rather, the absences in that flesh. But it's also true that with anyone, the more you look, the worse they appear. This is especially true of one's own reflection. A quaking voice reads a passage from Johnson's History of Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia. Is there such depravity in man as that he should injure another without benefit to himself? There is applause, the presentation of several awards, posing for photos. And then he is finally home. It is a late night. At the computer, he finds himself restless in want of reaching out just one more time. He decides to send an email extending an invitation to the ballet. The season is practically upon them. Balanchine's serenade. After a few days, he sends another email, asking Christian if he'd like to accompany him to see the new exhibit on 18th century French drawings at the Morgan Library. The exhibition is sure to tantalize works of Watteau Jacques-Louis David, Fragonard, a personal favorite. They could have dinner, a walk in Midtown, in the spirit of friendship. Again, he is at his desk. The computer the university had given him, its bright screen. He watches the cursor. Its metronomic blinking reminds him of a countdown. Abel Jones, He says aloud, what in heavens are you waiting for?
0: If you like this story, I recommend you buy yourself a copy of The Best American Short Stories 2020, edited by Curtis Settenfeld. Many of the authors this season were actually published in this collection, so it can be a fun way to re-listen while reading along. Thank you to William Pacey for his beautiful reading, and thank you to Modern Diet for their song, Dizzy. They've got a small selection of singles and one album, and you should definitely give them some love on Spotify, so go follow Modern Diet. Thanks to QED Studio in Astoria, and thank you to Epidemic Sound. Our production coordinator is the amazing Jordan Aaron. Our magical mixing engineer is Tim Carplus. Storybound is scored, arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, and Justin Alvarez of Lit Hub. This was our first episode recorded in our new studio. That's Storybound Studios, right in the heart of Southeast Portland, Oregon. We are super excited for the rest of this season. So go find us on Twitter or on Instagram at Storybound Pod. You can also write to me directly on Twitter at Jude Brewery. New episodes are released every Tuesday.